Hello and welcome to our inaugural Herbert Smith Three Hills podcast on the horizon. My name's Antonia Kirkby and I'm joined today by my colleagues Sarah Hawes and Erica McDonalds. In these podcasts, we're going to be discussing some of the material developments in corporate law and regulation that we expect to see in the next six to 12 months. We'll be focusing in particular on those that will be relevant to listed companies and looking at what those companies need to do as a, as a result of or an, in, in anticipation of these developments, whether it's new reporting requirements or more fundamental reforms such as proposals around audit and corporate governance. So, Sarah, should we start with you and some of the new reporting requirements, um, maybe starting with those which are on a very hot topic, climate change? What do companies need to do on, be doing on this front? Uh, thanks, Antonia. Well, look, uh, the regulations that will require publicly quoted companies, large private companies and limited liability partnerships to include climate related disclosures in their strategic reports came into force on the 6th of April this year and apply to accounting periods starting on or after that date. Now, under these new regulations, in-scope companies and LLPs are required to disclose climate-related financial information broadly in line with that covered by the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, or TCFD, as everybody will know them, as uh, the TCFD recommendations. Now, those, of course, cover climate governance, climate strategy, climate risk management and climate metrics and targets. So all in-scope companies now need to be looking again at their climate change risks and their strategies to get ready to make these new relevant disclosures. Um, even companies that perhaps, given the nature of their business, may not have heavily focused on climate issues previously. So to just be a little bit more precise about who these new regulations apply to, in-scope companies are any UK incorporated companies that have over 500 employees and are either listed or banking or insurance companies. And by listed there, I mean listed on the main market of the London Stock Exchange. And then AIM companies with more than 500 employees, listed or banking LLPs with more than 500 employees. And then if you're not already captured by one of those, but you are otherwise a UK incorporated company or LLP with more than 500 employees and a turnover of more than 500 million, then you are also in scope. This is where these regulations have expanded the basket of companies that need to make climate disclosures beyond those just. That, that are listed because the requirement in these regulations are in addition to the existing but also relatively new um, listing rule requirements for companies that are either premium or standard listed and again that's the main market of the London Stock Exchange we're talking about here. Now the FCA amended their rules to require reporting against the TCFD recommendations and recommended disclosures on a complier explained basis for premium listed companies for accounting periods beginning on or after 1 January 2021, and for standard listed companies for accounting periods beginning on or after 1 January 2022. So listed companies will be a little bit ahead of other companies then in turning their mind to these kind of climate related disclosures. Now, if companies are stuck though, uh, the government, the FCA and the FRC have all issued guidance on complying with these new requirements. And that's in addition to the swathes of guidance that the TCFD itself publishes. So if companies are in any doubt on what and how to report, uh, the good news is there's lots of sources to consult for help. Thanks, Sarah. Um, there have also been some changes around diversity to disclosures too, I think. Uh, do you want to talk us through those? Uh, yes, uh, another hot topic, of course, and rightly so. So this is another area where regulators are seeking to drive changes in corporate behaviour by increasing the levels of information that have to be reported. Uh, 
So you're right, the FCA has published its final rule changes uh, that require premium and standard listed companies to make disclosures in relation to gender and ethnic diversity at board and executive management level for financial years starting on or after 1 April 2022. Now, whilst these new disclosure requirements strictly only apply to financial years starting on or after 1 April 22, uh, the FCA is encouraging companies to include these disclosures in their annual reports on a voluntary basis you know, ahead of this date and effectively as soon as they can. Now, the FCA think that, probably not unreasonably, since companies are able to choose their own reference, reference date against which to make these disclosures, um, companies could put in place the processes they need to collect and report this data you know, much sooner, for example, for financial years starting on or after 1 January this year. So again, companies will want to be turning their mind to their board composition, their recruitment and nomination policies and procedures, and what data they have available on gender and ethnic diversity in order to get ready for these new reporting requirements. So what are the requirements? Well, under the new listing rules, um, premium and standard listed companies have to include in their annual report a statement confirming whether they have met specified board diversity targets as at their chosen reference date in the financial year. And those targets are that the board comprises at least 40% women, at least one of the chair, CEO, CFO or CID is a woman, and at least one member of the board is from a minority ethnic background. Now companies that don't meet those targets can explain why they do not. In addition, the premium and standard listed companies will be required to include a table in their annual report on the gender identity or sex and the ethnic diversity of members of their board and executive management. Now in some tweaks here from the FCA's original proposals, the listing rules are going to allow companies more flexibility in how they collect and report this data. Uh, this is reflecting the privacy concerns that were raised by hundreds of respondents uh, during the consultation process. Uh, and there's a specific exemption from reporting where the board members or management are situated overseas and some local laws in that jurisdiction either prevent the collection or publication of such data. So as ever in annual reporting, Antonia, uh, lots for companies to be thinking about ready for next year. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. And particularly interesting, the FCA, FCA's expectations on timing on those uh, disclosures. So um, definitely want to see how, how companies move towards that. So, Erica, um, if we move away from some of these reporting requirements and changes to some of the more fundamental reforms that are underway, could you tell us about the proposals around Companies House, particularly what companies need to know about and do as a result of the proposals? Yeah, of course. Thanks, Antonia. So um, in February earlier this year, uh, the government published its final position on the reform of Companies House. Now, this is the result of consultations and policy development since 2019. And under the reforms, there are three really interesting uh, areas of interest. Um, Companies House will be given greater powers in relation to information on the register. Um, secondly, identity verification requirements will be introduced for all new and existing company directors. And finally, the ban on corporate directors will be implemented. So if we take those, um, those areas in a, in a little bit more detail um, and look firstly at the enhanced role and greater powers of Companies House, um, the reforms here uh, represent the biggest change in the role of the registrar since it was created in 1884. And it turns it largely from a passive 
recipient of information, so a postbox effectively, to a much more active gatekeeper, a sort of pseudo-regulator. And companies will have to be really careful about their filings to Companies House as a result. So Companies House will be given the power to query any filings, any that appear erroneous or suspicious uh, and which may impact the integrity of the register or the wider business environment. And it will also have the power to reject any filings. Um, importantly, it will have the power to remove information from the register too. Um, and, and it will be able to do this more swiftly and, and actually in wider circumstances than is currently the case. Companies will also have to think about the digitization of their filings. So the registrar will be able to require all information to be filed digitally and company accounts will have to be tagged and filed in a digital format. Um, moving on to identity verification requirements. Um, these will be introduced, as I said, for all new and existing company directors and people with significant control and those filing uh, information with Companies House. UK formation agents uh, that register with Companies House can conduct these checks, but here's the thing, directors and uh, people with significant control who do not verify their ID will commit a criminal offence and or incur civil, uh, a civil penalty. Uh, and companies that have unverified directors uh, will also commit an offence. So that really sort of will draw attention to, uh, to those new identity uh, verification requirements. Um, finally, turning to the ban on corporate directors. So these are, these are directors of companies who are themselves companies. Um, and under the reforms, this ban will be uh, implemented. And the only exception is where all uh, directors of the corporate director are natural persons, so actual people. And prior to their appointment as directors of the corporate director, all directors have had their identities verified. Now, the thing to remember, too, is that only UK registered corporate directors will be permitted. So companies will not be able to have overseas registered corporate directors. Now, in terms of next steps, well, we're waiting for the government to introduce legislation into Parliament to affect these reforms, but we expect this to happen towards the end of the year. Thanks, Erica. So, as you say, timing TBC, but really important that companies keep track of this, particularly around that identity verification aspect of it. Um, so, one to watch for sure. Um, Sarah, if we turn back to you now, I mentioned in the introduction that audit reform is back in the spotlight. What's the latest position on this? Uh, well, the government have published their response to their March 2021 consultation on wide ranging audit and corporate governance reforms. They published that response just last month. Uh, what it says is that most of the proposals contained in the consultation will be implemented, but a number in quite modified form following feedback received. So the package of reforms will see the creation of the new ARGA, the uh, Audit Reporting and Governance Authority. That'll be the successor regulator to the current FRC. But the ARGA will have a much broader remit and significantly expanded powers as compared to the FRC. Now, the majority of the changes proposed in this package of reforms will uh, impact so-called public interest entities or PIEs. Now, this is a, a concept derived from EU law that has been carried across into the UK regime post-Brexit. 
And what these one of the things reforms do is actually expand that current UK definition of pies, which broadly speaking at the moment covers listed and regulated entities. It expands that definition to include all UK incorporated companies and groups above a certain size. And the size here is that they have 750 or more employees and an annual turnover of 750 million pounds or more. So again, bringing into the scope of this package of measures, the largest private companies that are here in the UK, so not just those listed on the public markets. Um, it will also include in that new def or broader definition of pies, companies that meet that large threshold, so 750, 750 for shorthand, um, that are listed on AIM and LLPs again, which meet that 750, 750 threshold. Uh, so some of the changes that we're looking at being implemented here in this very fundamental review of the audit and corporate governance landscape um, include the ARGA being given powers to enforce breaches by directors of their duties in relation to audit and corporate reporting. Now, this was not a popular aspect of the proposals of the white paper from last year, but nevertheless, the government seems determined to, to press ahead with it. So all directors of PIES, that's executive and non-executive, and in exceptional cases, directors of subsidiary companies of PIES will be within the scope of ARGA's new enforcement powers. Uh, the FRC is going to be invited to amend the UK Corporate Governance Code to require an explicit board statement on the effectiveness of a company's internal control systems and the basis for that statement. Now, this was one of the three options that the government consulted on in this internal controls area in order to sort of strengthen the regime here. Uh, another of the options that is not being taken forward was the idea that the UK would implement a system, a scheme similar to that under US SOX, people call it the Sarbanes-Oxley regime. Um, again, that received quite a lot of pushback from the market. So the government has rode back a bit on that proposal. Um, around dividends, um, all pies meeting this new 750-750 threshold will be required to explain their long-term approach to the return of value to shareholders and how that policy has been applied in the reporting year. Directors of these pies will also need to confirm the legality of any dividend proposed or paid in year. They will not, though, need to provide a two-year solvency statement prior to the payment of any dividend, which again was one of the proposals in the government's March 2021 paper, uh, which received negative feedback and, and therefore is not being pursued. There are also a number of changes in the reporting landscape. Uh, they include replacing the existing UK Corporate Governance Code viability and going concern statements with a new statutory resilience statement, and that will need to be in companies' strategic reports. Uh, there'll also be a requirement to publish every three years a new audit and assurance policy and an annual report on how that's been implemented. So more detail out there on engagement with auditors and assurance around those internal controls um, and also more reporting around what steps directors have taken to detect and protect against material fraud. Uh, the government's also confirmed a number of measures to reform the audit market and to amend the regulation of auditors. Now, look, these reforms need to be implemented through a whole patchwork of primary and secondary legislation and amendments to the UK Corporate Governance Code. So as a result, and in order to give companies time to prepare for these fundamental changes, the reforms are likely to be implemented over a number of years. That said, 
the FRC could move quite quickly on the governance code changes. So we could very well see a consultation on those in the next six months. Um, similarly, some of the changes that can be implemented via secondary legislation, tweaking the Companies Act, um, they could also be made as early as this year if parliamentary time allows. So certainly another one to uh, watch for later this year. Yeah, some really significant changes coming through on that. So thank you for that, Sarah. And last, by no means least, should we move on to the listing regime? So we've had the Hill review of the UK listing regime in March 2021, and that had various recommendations, some of which have been implemented, but others are still a work in progress. I think perhaps the most significant recommendation was to overhaul the premium and standard listing segments and, and look at what should be done with those. Sarah, do you want to tell us a bit more about what the FCA is currently proposing on this? I think we've seen something on it recently. Uh, you're right, Antonia. The, uh, the FCA has just published effectively a, a second discussion paper, DP222, if anyone wants to look it up, um, in which it's seeking further views on the structure of the UK listing regime. So if we rewind a bit, um, you're absolutely right, Antonia. In March 2021, the government published the outcome of the review of the UK listing regime that it had had undertaken by Lord Hill. Hill made a number of recommendations to seek to improve the attractiveness of the UK listing regime. Now, the FCA has already made a number of rule changes in response to the review to, to address perceived barriers to listing. So, for example, around pre-float and SPACs, uh, and the other recommendations made by the review are being taken forward by the Treasury and other expert working groups. In response, though, to one of the specific Hill review recommendations around the status of the different UK market segments, the FCA sought initial views in a discussion chapter of a consultation paper published uh, last summer on four potential models for the UK listing regime going forward, including possibly merging or at least rebranding the premium and standard segments and amending the eligibility and continuing obligations accordingly. Now, following feedback received to that discussion chapter, the FCA has now published DP222, so a more detailed consultation on its plans. Now, what the FCA is proposing, there will be a single listing segment for equity shares in commercial companies, and that companies in that segment can then opt to comply either with a set of minimum standards only, or with the minimum standards and some additional supplementary standards. And this single segment will be referred to simply as a, a UK listing. Now, all listed companies would have to comply with those minimum standard continuing obligations, which are labelled mandatory by the FCA. Now, those are the continuing obligations that currently apply to the standard segment, but adding compliance with the premium listing principles, the sponsor regime, the listing rule 11 regime on related party transactions, and reporting against the governance code on a complier explained basis. Now, the FCA thinks that this package of continuing obligations is set at the right level to ensure an appropriate baseline of transparency and investor protection, but hopefully attract more issuers than currently is the case. Companies can then choose to opt into the supplementary basket of continuing obligations, which include most materially the listing rule 10 significant transaction regime. Now, a company would have to decide during its IPO process which regime it will opt into, and if it wants to change, move in or out of the supplementary regime at a later date, it will require shareholder approval to do so. 
Now, the FCA recognises that moving all existing premium listed companies to either the mandatory or mandatory plus supplementary continuing obligations is unlikely to be appropriate. So it may therefore require a shareholder vote of each existing premium listed company to determine whether compliance with the supplementary continuing obligations is appropriate for that company. Uh, the FCA will also likely make transitional provisions to allow existing standard listed companies to just maintain their listing in that standard listing segment or alternatively undergo an eligibility assessment with the FCA and move to the new UK listing if appropriate. Now the elephant in the room then or you know in the discussion paper at least is what FTSE Russell think of all this. Now, the FCA says in the paper, it recognises that providers of indices will need to set criteria for inclusion following the changes outlined in the paper. And it says that while setting the criteria for inclusion is not within its control, it has, of course, taken into account how index providers may react to the changes and is in dialogue with them about these proposals. That is a definite watch this space. Now, other proposals that are included in the discussion paper include uh, revising the eligibility requirements, particularly around financial track record. So to try and attract a, a broader range of high growth and acquisitive companies, the FCA proposes that the current admission requirements in relation to revenue track record, historical financial information, and the requirement for a clean working capital statement instead be replaced by disclosure in prospectuses. It says this isn't intended to reduce standards, but will of course allow investors the chance to consider the characteristics of each issuer on an individual basis. Another mooted change is uh, the FCA asking whether the threshold for a class one transaction, so that's the threshold triggering the requirement for shareholder approval under listing rule 10, uh, whether it should be raised from its current 25% level. Uh, and the last material sort of bucket of proposals are all around the sponsor regime. So in this new mandatory plus supplementary regime, all companies with a UK listing would be subject to the sponsor regime. So not just those that opt into the supplementary continuing obligations. And the FCA asks a number of questions around the precise scope of the role in the new listing regime. It recognises that there are inefficiencies in the current regime and asks a number of questions, particularly around streamlining record keeping requirements and sponsor fees. The consultation closes on the 28th of July, so encourage all interested parties to respond. Uh, and the FCA then expects to consult on the precise rule changes in due course. I think it remains to be seen how long that process will take, but I would expect another consultation paper later this year. Thanks, Sarah. That's going to be interesting to see where that one comes out and what sort of feedback they get from the market and investors on, on their proposed approach. So, uh, yeah, I'll be looking forward to seeing where we end up on that one. Um, Eric, turning back to you again now, please. Um, one of the other areas of focus in the Hill Review was prospectus regime. What's happening on that front? Well, Antonia, what is happening on that front? Well, I can tell you that the Treasury published a response on uh, on the UK prospectus regime uh, review in March uh, this year, and it set out its policy approach to reforming the UK's prospe prospectus regime. And this is the biggest shakeup we've had uh, since 2005. Now Sarah's already talked about one of uh, Lord Hill's recommendations in the in the merging of the listening segments but another biggie from uh, Lord Hill's report was an overhaul of the prospectus regime and in particular for further issuances by companies that are already listed. 
the Treasury published an initial consultation last summer on fundamental reforms uh, to the rules governing when a prospectus must be published and, and when one is required, what should be in it. But now with this policy approach, uh, the government is stating really that its intention is to proceed with the reforms broadly as proposed from its from its consultation process. Now, the key features of the, of the policy approach are firstly, uh, and importantly, that prospectuses will remain a key feature of an IPO in the UK. So it is not goodbye to prospectuses, but the FCA will be delegated more power when it comes to prospectuses. Now, what does this actually mean? Well, the FCA will be given discretion to determine when a prospectus is required, but for a listed issuer, so that's a company already listed, uh, a public offer to its existing shareholders would not of itself require a prospectus. Secondly, the overarching requirement for a prospectus to contain all necessary information to allow investors to make their investment decision, that overarching requirement will be retained. But again, the FCA will be given power to make rules on the detailed disclosure requirements. That's the contents of the prospectus. And this is important because it opens the door to a more proportionate disclosure regime, particularly for secondary issues, if in fact a prospectus is required at all. And also the FCA will have discretion to decide which types of prospectuses it reviews. Um, another area, uh, a key feature, is around liability. So here liability for forward-looking information in a prospectus will be aligned with liability for other listed company published information. So that liability is only incurred when those involved are reckless rather than negligent. And in addition, it will no longer be a criminal offence to apply for admission to trading on a regulated market without that FCA approved prospectus. It will still uh, be a criminal offence to offer shares to the public without a prospectus. But frankly, if you try to apply for admission without a prospectus, the FCA can and will continue to just say no. And that shouldn't be that shouldn't attract criminal liability. So in terms of uh, in terms of next steps, well, it's for the government really to make the necessary legislative changes to the Financial Services and Markets Act. And this will create the framework for the new regime. Of course, that phrase when parliamentary time allows. Um, and then, of course, the FCA will also need to consult on on new rules, given its um, given its expanded responsibilities. Thanks, Erica. And you mentioned as part of that the the um, secondary issues by listed issuers. Secondary capital raisings by listed companies are being sort of looked at elsewhere, aren't they? Where have they got to on that? Yeah, well, if we backtrack a little bit, uh, just to remind listeners on, on what happened last year. So the Treasury launched uh, the UK Secondary Capital Raising Review, which looked into improving capital raising processes for publicly traded companies in the UK. Um, and again, when we think about the report from Lord Hill last March, uh, he recommended bringing together an expert group to improve the efficiency of further capital raising processes by companies that are already listed. Um, so uh, really what Lord Hill was getting at there was to try and improve the efficiency, the, the cost but, and time burden, in fact, on companies that want to raise further capital through the markets. And also, importantly, to 
uh, increase retail participation in these offers. So the UK Secondary Capital Raising Review looked at these issues, including um, whether the overall duration of the secondary capital raising process can be reduced, for example, by reducing on a rights issue the period during which shareholders can trade their rights, and whether new technology could be used to ensure uh, shareholders, receive, shareholders receive relevant information and exercise their rights more rapidly. And here, of course, we're talking about technological platforms um, that can allow uh, the process to be speeded up significantly by digitizing it. Um, other fundraising mechanisms are worth considering in the UK as well, including structures to facilitate uh, greater retail investor participation in capital raisings. Um, so the review closed uh, in November last year, but actually, Antonio, the short answer to your question is that we're rate, we are still waiting for the review to report its recommendations to the Treasury, which we're expecting over the summer. And then once that has happened, the Treasury will consider those recommendations and then take some or all of those recommendations to further consultation. And of course, the FCA will also have to launch its own consultation off the back of that. So another watch this space. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Sarah and Erica, for you for joining me today and discussing all these issues. Obviously, a lot of detail for people to get to grips with, and it's really helpful to have your insights and, and thoughts on it. Um, and thank you too to our listeners. We hope you found this podcast helpful. We'd really welcome any feedback you have on it and thoughts for future editions. If you want any further detail on any of these topics or to keep track of them as they develop, do go to our Herbert Smith Freehills Corporate Notes blog um, and you can find lots more information on there. Otherwise, we look forward to you joining us again in six months time when we give our next roundup. Many thanks and goodbye.